if you don't change the system, what you're doing is you're just creating programs and you're putting people back in a reality that they've already been in and they won't see they won't see tremendous changes. But if you change the system, it actually leads to more inclusion and more people will have the opportunity to benefit maybe from a, a great performance management system or from a leadership development or career development that is designed to be inclusive of everyone. This is Inclusion Begins With Me, conversations that matter. I'm your host, Dr. Cindy Pace, Vice President and Global Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at MetLife. Our podcast examines the pivotal role people play in creating inclusive workplaces that are built for the future. How does inclusion impact our well-being? Why is it a business imperative? In each episode, we weave together storytelling and research-driven conversations with globally recognized authors, experts, and DEI practitioners. On the show, we tackle steps that each of us can take to advance DEI. Welcome to Beyond the Conversations. In these episodes, we drill down on the topics our previous guests have brought up and go beyond them so I can share more about them, a little about me, and give you actionable steps to start conversations that matter. To go beyond the conversations, I'm joined by my producer from Human Group Media, Elliot Chaparelli. I think everybody we spoke to for this Beyond the Conversations episode for this little series we've put together made it clear that anyone can be a leader. You don't have to be an executive, a manager in the C-suite in order to be a leader, in order to make your workplace a great place to work, in Michael's words. So we're calling this our series on creating positive workspaces. You've had interviews with Amy Edmondson, Michael Bush, Ella Washington, and Michelle King. What did you learn from each of these interviews and why did you want to bring them all together for this conversation? Because originally we didn't have them placed together. And then as these conversations went on, you said, we have to have all of these people talk to each other through our Beyond the Conversations episode. One of the reasons I wanted to bring it all together is because we had these diverse perspectives, yet similar recommendations around what is required to have workplaces that work for everyone. And I think that was a guiding theme is not just a workplace that works for a certain demographic or people that identify with a certain group, but everyone, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what department you work in, because we know that culture cultures are different, you know, in, in organizations. There's not one culture. We like to talk about the organization having a culture, but we know that a lot of subcultures drive the main culture of the organization. And so what is required for people to want to come to work regardless of how they're coming to work. Because we talked about that too, that work has changed. 
Michelle King said to us, the future is here. We are in a hybrid format and we're trying to figure out how does this work? How does it work to work with people that are either fully remote, sometimes in the office, always in the office? And what does that look like to create that positive experience for all of them? So what would you say, just to kick us off, your personal steps are for creating a great place to work? So what are my suggestions? It's interesting because I just recently did a post about this. I was interviewed by Columbia University, and you know this, that I'm a lecturer. And what I did was I talked about, from what I know, from what I teach and, and the research, what every leader, no matter who you are, this is this is leader beyond the title, beyond the position, beyond the rank. There are three things that I suggest that you do. Number one, inclusion is about consistency, intentionality around the behaviors and actions. So in every interaction, in your daily interactions, ask yourself, do I leave people feeling truly seen, heard, respected, and valued? The second is seek and apply diverse perspectives. So it's not enough to just say, seek. When I hear the word seek, I I think of a telescope pops into my head and like you're just scanning the constellation. You're looking at the stars and saying, oh, look at all of these different stars. Application is that you have spent time speaking to people about their diverse perspectives. You have critically assessed And you've gone back to your own thinking and maybe you've applied some kind of insight or information that they gave you and now it requires you to go about it differently. So I think that's really important. Last but not least is give every voice value. Giving every voice value, no matter the position, the rank, the title, the degrees, Every voice matters and making space. That's one of the things that we talked about, making space for people to be able to speak up and to be just to be heard is so important in a world where sometimes the most critical people get heard because they sound intelligent. It sounds intelligent to criticize and critique. But what about the people that have something else to say and they may have a different style. So creating that space is is what I think is important. So those are my three. I mean, I have other things like sharing mistakes and not avoiding, not blaming people, but addressing feedback, addressing concerns, addressing mistakes, I think is so important, especially to do as a team. And I know Amy talked a lot to us about ways that we can make the team environment more productive. Right. Amy's mantra is psychological safety. So when you said, ask, how did I leave people feeling? And then the ways to leave people feeling like they contributed, like they have a positive work environment, like they're an important member of the team is recognize contribution. Number one, to seek and apply diverse perspectives and give every voice value. 
So we're going to remember those three things. And with that, I want to play a clip from Amy for you to respond to. Sometimes psychological safety can be quite uncomfortable, right? Because it implies a level of candor that isn't normal in organizational settings. So it's not easy, fun, and it's not something we do as a perk. Psychological safety is mission critical to excellence in a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. So long as the work you do has some uncertainty, and let's face it, we all have that, and some interdependence, reliance on others, then psychological safety is mission critical and on the path to excellence. You know, Elliot, when I think about, first of all, can I just pinch myself for being able to have had a conversation with Amy Edmondson? (laughs) I, I just... I walk away after I've talked to these amazing thought leaders and think, how in the world did this happen? When she said that psychological safety is mission critical to excellence, I was like, okay, again, this is a mic drop moment. And this is something that we should remember because, and she pulled on a terminology that has been used around change in the world. Uh, it, It comes from the military And it's, some people know it, the acronym VUCA, being in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that we're in, it is more important than ever to have psychological safety. And again, intentionally and consistently pull it in into our team environments. So I... I would say if you want to have a high-performing team, my takeaway from this was if you want to have a high-performing team, your path to excellence is psychological safety and you need to prioritize it. So what happens when a team doesn't have psychological safety? I think we talked a little bit about that and, and my... My experiences, I've unfortunately been on teams that have that, and I've had the opportunity to observe and provide feedback because this is some of the work that we do, helping assess psychological safety, helping assess team performance when it comes to inclusiveness. And what happens is a high degree of disengagement. It's almost like you start to see a team atrophy. The muscles on that team that were once strong because maybe they were going in and they were doing things together start to fatigue and grow weak. And disengagement looks very different. So sometimes you can't look at someone until they're disengaged. You have to really start to pay attention to work product, to how individuals on the team are speaking to each other? Is it dismissive? Is it surface level conversation? Like, wow, what's the weather like outside? (laughs) You know, are people really asking or inquiring how everyone is doing? What are things that they can help? When you don't see those conversations, you don't see collaboration happening. You don't see someone saying, hey, I'll, I can help you with that. Or or here's a suggestion or here's a resource. And you just kind of see either maybe even not talking or 
only being focused on here's the action items, almost stoic in a way, there's disengagement that's bubbling up. And so what you want to be able to do as team members, as team leaders, is get to the bottom of that because it's like a virus. Once one person gets it, don't think it's just that one person. It will show up across the team. So it's really important to be able to identify disengagement, with which I know, I think Michelle King talked about that. She did. So maybe let's listen to what Michelle had to say. So if you are not investing in those relationships, you're going to feel less connected, less engaged, less satisfied with your work. And that's why the quiet quitting phenomenon, the lazy girl jobs phenomenon, the snail girl jobs phenomenon is happening because people feel disconnected. So I actually think while we all love hybrid work, which makes sense because it's an opportunity to disconnect, so it makes sense that we like it, one of the challenges is it gives us an opportunity to disconnect. And so we have to be far more intentional about how we're investing in relationships at work. So what secrets do you think each of our speakers shared with us to avoid these phenomena? I think at the heart, I'm I'm going to try to pull it together without saying exactly, because I would love people to go back and truly listen to every episode that we're pulling together here and beyond the conversations. But I think this understanding of the importance of relationships is key to avoid the quiet quitting. I think also one of the things that Michael talked about was understanding what makes a great place to work. So the role of trust understanding what trust is about, leadership effectiveness. Are we focused on maximizing human potential? How do we make sure that people feel cared for in the work environment? The importance of camaraderie. You know, we talk about a lot about teamwork and collaboration, but camaraderie is important to that. And, and that's part of some of the modeling that they've done around Great Place to Work. Commitment is is something that I believe it was Dr. Ella Washington brought us into. Of course, you can have strategies around DEI, but what can help people feel much more connected is a shared vision and purpose and a commitment around that and clearly communicating the commitment, how we are making progress against our commitments, against our goals, I think it's really important to keep people connected into the why we're doing this. Let's actually hear a clip from Ella right now. Okay. Because I think it's illustrating exactly what you're saying. So DEI is a very kind of individualized process and experience based on the organization you're in, based on who you are. I often say there's no one-size-fits-all approach to DEI. But it is helpful to understand the collective experiences people are having within organizations and what the data can help us to learn as we strategize for the future. And so you can't have meaningful conversations without connecting this back to who you are and who you want to be. You can't just do it because it's in the headlines, because we see companies that did that and didn't interrogate who they are as an organization. They're the ones that are most quickly abandoning those efforts, right? So that aware stage is really important. It's foundational. So what's interesting is we just had a meeting where we were talking about 
the importance of DEI in people making a decision to want to work for an organization. And EY has a belonging barometer and they put out an annual report. Hmm. One of the things that they said is when they look across generations, all generations really have ranked DEI high in terms of this has to be a commitment. This has to be something that I see that an organization is doing, but it ranks the highest with Gen Z. And so it is not an optional activity. It is an expectation. And the way that we stay committed is that we have to talk about the progress, not over promise. Understand what is our promise to DEI? What is our commitment to DEI? But what is the progress and the action that we're making? And we have to stay vigilant to that. We have to communicate it with our teams so that we can see we are making progress. When when we just keep throwing goals up and people don't see any incremental change or movement towards the goal, then again, disengagement happens. So really amplifying progress and action and being able to showcase that I think is extremely important, especially if we want to retain, not just attract the next generation of workers coming into our workforce, we want to keep that talent. Mm -hmm. That is going to be necessary. As Ella said, it's a necessary journey. It is. So I think I'm technically Gen Z. So we're here. We're in the workplace. The the future of work is here. I think I'm on the cusp. I'm like just barely Gen Z, but I count. So I think my feelings echo the feelings of my generation. And I'm so glad that there are large companies that are noticing this and leaders who are prepared to be a part of the future of work. So future of work is everything that Michelle King was talking about. And you actually told Michelle about your conversation with Amy. And here's a section that you paraphrased. I think, first of all, as a team leader, you have to pause to recognize that everybody on the team has responsibility for things going well, but you have slightly more responsibility for things going well and take that responsibility very seriously. Anyone on the team can exercise leadership on process, on helping people do well, but you own it. And I think one of the most important things that you own and must just go first in making sure they're handled is clarity about why why we're here. Again, purpose or vision, and in some cases, deliverables. And going first in terms of creating the kind of learning environment that will help us get there. And that means modeling the behaviors you desperately want to see in others. That means modeling humility, saying like, I've never done this before, I'm going to need your help. A modeling transparency. So why are all of our speakers stressing that positive workspaces are a leadership imperative? Because if you, and, you know, as as you've heard from many of them, they're organizational psychologists. And so they study the science 
and psychology and behavior around organizations. And what we know for those of us that are in that area of study, mine, I'm at the intersection of, again, leadership, DEI, and adult learning with influences by org psych and behavior. The tone is set at the top. People look to leaders. If we go back to, you know, Elliot, you and I love to talk about superheroes. <laughs> they are modeling leadership behaviors and people are looking to them for the solution. So that means you have to show up differently. You have to be the one, even on the tough days, you have to be the one that reminds everyone what the goal is. What is the vision? You have to tap into a level of motivation, even on the days that you may not feel motivated. And I tell you, it's a, it's a tough thing when a leader loses that sense of optimism and inspiration. And so that's something that leaders have to be able to bring because that brings a level of energy of a, of a can do attitude that this is a team that I'm leading. We can do anything and they need to see you be able to do the hard and the tough stuff. So as, as Brene Brown says, as we've heard from Theodore Roosevelt, the quote about being in the arena, leaders have to be in the arena. You're not up in the stands being, uh, you know, looking on. You're not a bystander. You're in the arena. You're taking on challenges. You're removing barriers. You're ensuring that your team has the resources and the support that they need. That is what leadership looks like. And it is not easy. And so it is a huge responsibility. So those people that heed the call, to being a leader, have to take it seriously. It's not just about being promoted to the next level. So there are some leaders mm -hmm. who are apparently fantastic leaders for like a few people or even maybe most of their team. Mm -hmm. But when we talked to Michael Bush, he made it really clear that if you're going to be a leader, you have to be a leader for all. And I, I know both of us thought that for all was really important when he took over Great Place to Work, I think he added, or when he wrote his book, he added the two words, for all, Great Place to Work, for all. Mm -hmm. So he made a point about that that I want to play. And then I have another question for you. Our analytics show that there are some people they create a fantastic experience for. A fantastic experience. People will do anything for that leader. But there's another group of people working for that leader who have an inconsistent experience and other people working for the exact same leader who have a negative experience in terms of whether they trust that leader, in terms of whether they think that leader is transparent, in terms of whether they think that leader is fair and equitable, in terms of whether they think that leader cares about them as a person and not just as an employee, and whether or not they feel that leader builds a team around them that creates a camaraderie where that group can do things that no individual can do on their own. These are the things that make up trust, which is what I'm talking about. So how does what Michael Bush is saying here about leadership align with what Amy Edmondson taught us about psychological safety? I would say it goes back to intention and understanding that there's 
a degree, and you will hear me say this time and time again, of consistency. That's what he's talking about. Consistency in the relationship, in the treatment to the people on your team. What happens when it's inconsistent? You have some people that think you're great, that you have others that are like, get me off this team. And maybe you have some in the middle. Is there's probably an inconsistency in how that relationship, leader, follower, manager, team member is happening. And what wasn't said that I want to bring up is the importance of getting the feedback. Mm -hmm. Because leaders, people, whether you're a leader in the organization, positional leadership, where you have authority and decision-making power over others, and you can help guide and give resources, or if you are a team member, you're on the team, you, you have a work product to produce. We all have blind spots. And the danger is not understanding how your behavior is impacting other people. And so what world-class organizations do is they're able to help leaders get the feedback. They're able to help employees. So it's not We only do 360, which is when you get feedback from people that are that are around you, that Mm -hmm. constellation of people around you that are telling you, here's how I'm experiencing you every day. World class organizations don't only do that for leaders. They do it across the organization. So everyone being able to get some degree of feedback is helpful to inform you. Am I being consistent? What do I need to tweak and what do I need to change? And so that's how we can help leaders start to be a leader for all Mm -hmm. is we have to give them the feedback of where are their deficits and then also where are you excellent? Like amplify it, continue, because this is something every single person on your team said they will never question your level of care. However, here's what they said about how they feel cared for, right? So evaluation and feedback and assessment helps you close those gaps and helps you understand the blind spots that you may have that can help you be a leader for all. Mm. So thinking about blind spots and Mm self-improvement, Michelle King gave us some advice where she reminds us what each of us can do, whether we're a leader or not, to improve ourselves and our workplace. We have to own the fact that we like people as similar to us. And as a result, whether you're aware of it or not, you're likely to keep reaching out to the same types of people. So the more you can actually grow the diverse networks you have through forming strong, mutually beneficial connections with people who are different from you, you know, that's that's the way to do it. So I think that's a way to close those blind spots to prevent them, to make sure that the people around you are giving you a diverse array of perspectives and advice. Am I on the right track there? You're on the right track. But one thing we didn't say here, because I like we're going beyond the conversation that I want to bring out, this is not easy. And so it requires a high degree of self-awareness to say these archetypes (laughs) or these styles, I have to work on being able 
to manage through my discomfort because they're different for me. So if someone, I'll use this as an example. We, we talk a, a lot about introverts and extroverts in organizations or period in the world. Mm-hmm. Extroversion is explained in a lot of different ways. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert on this, but I will tell you what I do know about extroversion is people that have a high degree of extroversion are motivated and get energy through people and through conversation. They actually think when they talk, I am one of those types of people. So I am uncomfortable with a high degree of silence. Me too. (laughs) But guess what? I had to learn how to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and let it happen. And, And that's one of the things, even as communicators, if you want to be a great speaker, a great communicator, the power of the pause, learning when to give airtime and space. And so if I'm always talking to people who are extroverted, first of all, nobody's getting a word in edgewise because we're all talking. <laughs> okay. I need to find the person that is actually listening because the amazing thing about introversion is the superpower is in being able to listen, to summarize points. So if you've ever had someone on your team who's an introvert that allows everyone else to speak, because we probably, and they're probably allowing because we're not giving space. And then they say something, you're like, this person is the most brilliant person in the world because they're listening. It's true. (laughs) So if you create a network of people that they could be ambiverts. Ambiverts are amazing because they are at this intersection. They sit in the middle of being introverted and extroverted. They can pull from both. You have ambiverts, introverts, extroverts around you. And then you expand that to people who are savvy with numbers. They're, they have an analytical mind. You have people that have a high degree of emotional intelligence and they're relationally savvy or you have people that have the understanding they're just so strategic they can see 30,000 feet up and then you have people that are excellent at tactics and getting things done and then you add in that these people are in different disciplines if that is your network you will be amazing and let's add in identity differences cultural differences into that. So now you have people that can talk to you about a number of things. It is going to make you smarter. It is going to make you, I would say, much more humble, compassionate, and have a high degree of empathy and understanding for people. And so that's what Michelle was saying. But I have to say it requires work. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really good place to end. But before we go, Sydney, do you have anything else that you noticed in these conversations that you want to bring up or any points that we've already brought up that you want to drive home? The only thing I, I would say I noticed, and I've, I've brought this up before, is as people are listening to this episode and as you go back, please go back and listen because the episodes are learning bursts for you, opportunities for you to learn. So you want to have that repetitiveness to help you be able to do that. 
every person that we've talked to, every thought leader, practitioner, researcher, author, has an origin story that has shaped why they do this work. And I think it can help us learn more about ourselves to kind of really go back and unearth, how did I get here? Why does this matter to me? And start sharing that with each other. That is how you have a conversation that matters, is that you are willing to go to the heart of the conversation and not stay surface. But finding out, you know, talking to people and finding out, how did you get here? What is it that you have learned? What have been some aha moments in your career or life? What are some mistakes that you made? How did you recover? That is always the takeaway that I have in every conversation. And I want to have us spend a little bit more time on how we help each of us have intentional, inclusive conversations that matter. So I'll end there for this episode. Thank you, Cindy. And thanks for having me as usual. Thank you all for joining me on this episode of Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter. You can learn more about all of our Inclusion Begins With Me guests at MetLife.com. At MetLife, we are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we believe making a difference in the lives of our customers, community, and the world around us is altogether possible. Learn more and join us at MetLife.com. The link is in our show notes. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Inclusion Begins With Me, Conversations That Matter, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you also take the time to rate and leave our show a review. Before we go, we'd like to thank our podcast partner, Human Group Media, who helped us produce this show. That's it for today's episode. I hope you join me in the next one.